This is why we don't carry the pulpit back and forth. <laughs> I realized that, you know, when we move this big thing, I don't have any place to hide all my stuff. I, my phone and my keys and all these other things. Um, I try to keep my keys out of my pocket because I tend to, like, you know, fidget and they jingle. and Anyway, first world problems. Isn't that amazing to see how God always has us in a place where he can work through us? And so many times we get discouraged by our circumstances, but really what we need to realize is that nothing in this world is going to be perfect ever. Our place is always going to be fluid, and we're not here permanently. We are all journey, uh, journeymen on a traveling pathway. And some of you have lived in Pueblo your whole life, and you go, I don't know if I, I understand all that. And some of you have moved every two years and go, oh, I really understand that. Um, and, you know, whatever it may be, I've known people who've lived in 50 different places. You know, I've probably lived in six or seven. I've lost, I have lost count. I would have to think about it. But really, we must remember that our lives here are temporary. We are called here with purpose. And that's one of the reasons we can give forward to things like the World Missions Offering or we give towards the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, 50% of that. Uh, goes of our world missions offering goes to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We have met our goal for this year. Uh, if not, uh, we're $30 short or something like that, but that does not mean to stop giving. There's always need to proclaim the gospel. So uh, that story of our missions work around the world, it's just amazing how we we see God work through us. You know, you, you I, I heard a friend of mine tell me one time when I was griping and moan about something, plant you grow where you're planted, where God plants you. And uh, that's what the testimony is here of these missionaries. Uh, this morning we are uh, going to start out not in Acts chapter 2, uh, but we are going to still be talking about the same kinds of things we find there as we talk about the life of the church. Uh, but I, today we are going to talk about the aspect of worship. So one of the greatest pictures we have of worship in the entirety of the Scriptures is found in Isaiah chapter 6. And I would invite you to turn there as we begin. We'll read verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to do a little bit of a sword drill today as it would be uh, bouncing around all over the place in the Scriptures. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Father, you are faithful to us in your word, and you call us to praise your name. 
Throughout history, you've called us to that place, and I pray, God, now that we would be reminded of your faithfulness, of your sovereignty, and of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we talk about a worship service, this right here is probably what you think of, right? And the invitation each week is the same. As, as one of those things that we see in the, the Christmas carols, to come and worship, worship Christ. In the Christmas carol, it is the newborn king, right? But we have that invitation to come and worship, and it is found within the, the, the Scriptures throughout the, the, the entirety of the Bible. And when we come to that place, we need to be reminded that this is the reason we have been created. We have been personally created for a relationship with the creator of the universe, God Almighty. And he has made that possible throughout history. We may not understand all the ways he makes it possible, but one of the things we need to realize is the reason we are called to worship him in that relationship is that he alone is worthy of that worship. And the greatest problem that mankind has, and if you start reading the Old Testament, it becomes very apparent very quickly, is that we make ourselves the object of worship. The things that we want, the things that we desire, yet we are continually called back to this place where we started today, to worship. Now, it has actually very little to do with location. God called His people to worship before there ever was a temple. Now, He did call the people together to the tabernacle. He called them together to Jerusalem. He made the temple to be a place of the dwelling of the Lord on earth. But ultimately, what we see in Christ... At His crucifixion, at His death, is that veil to the Holy of Holies is torn from top to bottom. Each one of us now in our lives is called to the throne room of the Lord. And we have one way in which we can get there. And that is through His sanctification. We're going to come back to Isaiah chapter 6 actually and we'll look at this passage again. But one of the things we see is that statement there. And one of the things we constantly think of when we talk about worship is we talk about music. We talk about the songs that we sing. We talk about the style of the music that is presented. All these different things. And it unfortunately throughout history has been one of those things that our preferences end up bringing division within the body. When the Lord is always calling us back in a particular way that has nothing to do, really, with our preferences. The fact is, is when we come before the presence of the Lord, we will do what the angels, the seraphim, did here in verse 3 when they called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This is a historical event. King Uzziah was a significant king in, the, in, in Judah, and we could dig into that. You can find his stories and chronicles and, and all the different kinds of things he did. And he made some major mistakes along the way, and he, he uh, 
he lost his temper, and because of that, God cursed him with leprosy for the remainder of his life. But he was a king that had done some good things in the, the kingdom of Judah. So when he died, it was a significant moment. And Isaiah says that here in this time is when I saw the Lord lifted up. More than likely, he was in the temple. But what we find is this vision that he has declares who God is. This, uh, this holy, holy, holy is a picture of the magnificence of our God. When a word is repeated in Hebrew, which is the base language for here, the original language in uh, the Old Testament for the majority is Hebrew. When it is repeated like this, it is a multiplier. So the purest way we might be able to translate it is holy, holier, holiest. There is a, not anyone like him in our realm. There is no way that we can understand the holiness of the Lord. And so when the seraphim, the angels, are calling out before the Lord, which, by the way, they looked kind of weird. Right? First of all, they're flying. I've never flown. As a matter of fact, I like to stay on that other side of gravity. Right? Well, I've been in an airplane, but I mean, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had a an injury if I could have, you know, just floated, right? No, gravity hits hard for us. But each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Why would he cover his face? Because of the holiness of the Lord. With two, he covered his feet. Why? Because to come into the presence of the Lord requires cleansing. And with two, he flew. And they called back and forth. And what was the effect of it? The threshold shook. The house was filled with smoke. And that was a consistent picture of the presence of the Lord throughout the Old Testament. Is that the Lord would come and is in fire and smoke. And they, the priests would have to exit the Holy of Holies because they couldn't breathe. To be in the presence of God is a transforming experience. And, and uh, we'll come back to it here, but Isaiah has a fascinating response to it when he calls out this woe. But let's go to Acts chapter 2, where we've been the last several weeks, and we'll see the places where God called his people to this place of worship as a community, as a group of believers. And they devoted themselves, Acts chapter 2, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many signs, wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So there's the first place right there. Ah, what was it of? It was the teaching and the fellowship, understanding who God is and what was the effect of it. They saw wonders and signs. And then we see these central verses, what the things they did, what, what they did along the way. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Here's again this place, praising God and having favor with all the people. And what was the effect of it? That the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
the call of God in worship changes us. When we come to the presence of the Lord, we can't help but be truly transformed by who He is. Now, I can think of different times in my life, and I wish they were more consistent and more um, obvious. I mean, I, it, what, what we, we see in, in Isaiah chapter 6, wouldn't it be something if we saw that every week? That'd be amazing. Now, I can't say I've ever seen angels calling back and forth to each other and let the, the smoke fill the room, but I, I've had those moments in my life where I could really know that I was in the presence of the Lord. Those moments of worship, those moments of call. And really, that's where it comes down to is the same kind of place that we find Isaiah there. But what brings us there is the knowledge of the Lord. To understand who He is, to understand what He does, and what He is doing in each of us right now through the power of His Word. Romans chapter 12 is one of my favorite places to go to, to look at that, but uh, it, it talks about all kinds of things here, but it, it, uh, in chapter 12 talks about love, it talks about giftings of the church, but it's all in the concept, context of worship. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, we are called to radical obedience and living by faith according to His Word. And this is what it looks like. It's life transformation. The Word of God changes who we are at our core. It draws us to a place of repentance and, and shows us that, once again, we are unworthy. There is no way that we on our own, the best things that we can bring, the prettiest stuff we have, is always going to fall short of the holiness of our Lord. And that is what the angels are seeing back and forth to each other. They're calling out to one another. How do we do that? How are we transformed? First of all, God does it. But second of all, He calls us to make a decision about Him. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do we do that? By getting in His Word, by being in fellowship together, and by seeing what He is doing in our lives, and in the world around us. We live in a world that so desperately needs to see the presence of God. And guess who He uses in that? He uses His church. Because we are the dwelling place of the Spirit. The renewal of our mind is a choice. It's part of that process of sanctification, to be made holy. In no way will we be worthy of the worship that God is. There's no way that can happen. But you and I can become worthy to worship Him. First of all, because of what Christ does in us, that He transforms us, and then now He calls us to live our lives as a blessing to Him. How do we discern what the will of God is? That's good, things that are good and acceptable and perfect. How do we know what those things are? By knowing what His Word says. 
that he is good. That's why it's important to be in it every way. How then do we live that out? Told you we were going to play some hopscotch today, some sword drill. Matthew chapter 22. Familiar passage for those who have been in church at any point in time. Jesus is being questioned and challenged by the Pharisees. I've seen notes in my Bible that I preached this before. I actually preached it on my birthday one year. The Pharisees challenged him. And they asked him a question, which is the greatest commandment of the Lord? And this is what he says. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. This is a summation of the Ten Commandments. If you look at the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, they focus on the Lord in the first four and on each other in the last six. It's also a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus is telling them that in order to bless him, we do this. We love the Lord and we love others. What happens when that is done? Well, that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. We see that the, the, the believers stood in awe of the Lord. They saw things, amazing, amazing things happen in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But I told you that we were going to go back to Isaiah. Because in, in my study of this, I saw some interesting things along the way. I learned some interesting things about this passage. Most of you would know that in the Scriptures... There are numbers that hold significance. Three and four, three being the Trinity. Four you see in, in Proverbs that for three sins and then for four. You also see six as a number of incompletion. You see seven as a number of completion. Well, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, we see that verse where it says he's a, woe is me. But that's actually the seventh woe. W-O-E not W-H-O-A. That's a totally, whoa, that's a different thing. Now, woe is a term of grief. And in, in verse 5 in chapter 6, Isaiah says it. The previous six times in chapter 5, the Lord says it. So let's back up a little bit there. If you want to go to Isaiah chapter 5, they should all be there. We're not going to read the entirety of chapter 5, but there's a lot of chapter 5. It's a long chapter. The first woe is found in chapter 8. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no room. You are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. They're gathering houses for the sake of houses. Verse 11 is the next one. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink and who tarry into the evening as wine inflames them. We'll see some things build up here. Verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes. Okay, so what is that saying? Woe to the liars. Verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, woe to the hypocrites. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. That's the fifth. Number six, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in drinking strong drink. So, here's what I run into when I look at passages like this in the Bible. There are some verses there that I can go, yeah, woe. Woe to them. And then I read the next one. And I realize, oh, he's talking to me too. Because we want to classify different levels of sin. We want to say that a little white lie isn't as bad as killing somebody. But Jesus dies for the sin of the world. Sin is the qualifier, not the level in it. And so we can get lost in all these different things along the way, but we see, we join from house to house, we, people who just gather more stuff. And guess what? You're in your own possessions then. That's all you got if you're not loving the Lord in that. Woe to those who, are, who, who chase after alcohol all the day, you know, strong drink. Probably most of us could agree with that. That's not generally a good thing to be doing at all. Verse 18, those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. Man, that, I wish I was a poet sometime because I'd say stuff like that. Whoa, those who draw iniquity with the cords, cords of falsehood. Anyway, I can't even talk that well, right? Those who lie to lie, basically. I, I've talked about this a few times, but sometimes there, there's this sense of people we know that lie when the truth would do just bet, would do better, right? They think they're just going to be in trouble if they tell the truth. When the truth is a better thing. Sometimes stuff happens. But you know when you lie, what you have to do the next time is you have to lie again. And then again, and then you get into that old little uh, saying, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive, right? When coming down to it, when you make a mistake, you know what the best thing to do is? I remember seeing the American Boy Choir do this. I've seen basketball teams do this. When somebody commits a foul or sings the wrong note, they would raise their hand. That was me. It's easier sometimes to just come out and say it was me. Because then you can move on with it. Forget it even happened. And I've even have, had that along the way when I've made a mistake and I go, oh, I, I, I did it. It was me. And I forgot I did it later and it didn't matter because I'd already fessed up to it. Usually it was while I was a trumpet player in the band. Because trumpet players play loud. Uh, I did that. So you can't hide sometimes. And it's just better to come clean with it. But look at all of these things. Chapter 5, all these six woes that are put there, it pins us all down. Every one of us is represented in there somehow. 
And what it does is it shows us our unworthiness when you come to chapter 6. Verse 5, woe is me. Chapter 5 was all the word of the Lord. Chapter 6, Isaiah gets the vision of God's holiness, and all of a sudden he realizes he knows the problem. It's me. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of kings, the Lord of hosts. When we come into the presence of the Lord, there is no other posture to come with except humility. Because He is so good. And He brings us cleansing and purification. How do we know that? Well, let's just keep reading in verse 6 there. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. So he took it with tongs, and then he was holding it. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. The recognition of our sin is painful. I think that's one of the reasons we just try to cover it up with more. Because we really just kind of end up numbing the problem, which just makes it worse. Imagine, I mean, I, I brought this up, but, you know, if, if most of you have been through some kind of medical procedure, if you haven't, but they, they numb you for it, right? What would happen if the numbness never wore off? Well, for a full day after I had foot surgery, my toes did not respond. If that numbness hadn't worn off, I'd look a lot different today than I did two months ago. Right? Falling over all the time. And when I took that first step and took those first steps, it was painful. But now, I can stand for as long as I can stand. God brings healing through the pain. When he, we come to a place of recognition of our sin, it hurts. And we should respond the way Isaiah does right here. Woe is me. But he offers redemption. Here it is pictured with a, a burning coal upon the lips of the messenger. Remember, he calls out and says, here am I, send me, right? Right? Well, that's the next passage. I skipped it there. Spoiler alert. That's what he says next. This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. The one who can atone for sin is God. The only one that can actually pay the price is the one who is worthy. And I'm not. And you are not. That's why Jesus comes. Because he lives that perfect life and takes that penalty. What we see here is a prophetic picture of what happens on the cross. This angel purifying the lips of Isaiah is a picture of the purification that comes through the blood of Jesus. And in verse 8, the response is the missionary call. Whom shall I send, the Lord says, 
and who will go for us? And Isaiah, in the midst of the congregation, we think of this like Isaiah is just there by himself watching all this, but the, the essence of it is a corporate moment. Isaiah calls out, here am I! Send me! I'm going to go! So the response to God's purification is a radical step of obedience. Are we going to trust Him to work in us and through us? Well, the early church did just that. Going back to Acts chapter 2. What was happening here? Verse 47. Praising God, they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. An honest picture of who we are before the Lord opens the doors to evangelism. A real place of worship where we come and realize that we are unworthy draws the the heathen to faith. And so when we come to a place where we have a chance to worship the Lord, what kind of response should we have except holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And friends, I'm going to, I hope this is an encouraging statement, but that's not normal. It should be. But it has everything to do with the core of our existence and who we are as the redeemed people of God. And if it talks about our hearts, then it's not getting into whatever the songs we're singing are or the style or how loud or how quiet or which instruments or whatever. It has everything to do with whether we know the one whom we are worshiping. We come with an offering. Now, we typically have, we've got the manger scene up here, the crash, the nativity, all these different things we can call it. We, we put three kings up there. Well, we don't know that they were kings. They were magi. They come with three gifts. That's why we had three of them. But we don't know how many of them there were. But they come with gold, and they come with frankincense, with myrrh, and that's symbolic, prophetic symbolism to who this baby is, this child that they come to worship. Gold is king. Frankincense, because he's a priest, and myrrh, because of the death that he would uh, bring, uh, he would uh, experience for our sins. What was the fourth king thinking? What did he bring? We don't know. Was he criticizing the other three? No, they brought the gifts because this is what they desired to do, was worship the king. And we can criticize and we can beat down one another, but really what happens is, the, the question we must answer is, does God dwell in me? Is my response that of the seraphim? Holy, holy, holy. And if we truly worship the Lord, I don't think Isaiah was thinking about whatever 
you know, instruments were playing at that moment. As a matter of fact, to this place of worship, there's not even songs mentioned. It says that the angels were calling back and forth to each other. It didn't say they were singing. It was the core of their existence. That's why they are there, is to worship the king. God desires our hearts and worship, and when we submit our lives to him, when we lay down our pride before his throne, he is magnified and exalted, and we see what happens in verse 47. The Lord adds to their number day by day those who are saved. So as we come to this place every week, are we truly coming to worship? Are we reminded of the majesty of the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Is he worthy? Will you receive the gift that Isaiah does here? cleansed heart for him. Let's pray. Our Lord, you are good and you are faithful to us. I pray now as we worship your name, as we recognize your goodness and your grace, that you would indeed draw us to a place where we just radically trust you. We are reminded of our place before your throne and that you give us that place because of the shed blood of Jesus. Call us closer and closer to you that we would bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.